I wanted to try and be one of the voices out there that was qualified and credible and, and could provide people with a sensible voice, you know, a voice of reason. Now, that doesn't make me very popular, but, you know, I, I, I will always speak the truth. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is a leading sports dietitian who specializes in diet and training for optimal athletic performance, as well as disordered eating. She has over 20 years experience working in clinical and performance nutrition with Olympic and Paralympic athletes. She is a best-selling author and the co-founder of Train Brave, a campaign raising awareness for eating disorders in sport. She is a regular contributor for nationwide print media, radio and TV and has appeared on Newsnight and BBC Five Live. Not only that, she is also an endurance runner too. This episode has been requested by so many listeners of the show and I am so happy to be joined today by Renee McGregor. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show. And for the listeners of the show who will not realise, there's been many technical difficulties today to make this recording happen. The joys of recording remotely during COVID. Uh, But I'm really, really grateful, Renee, for you giving us your time today and your patience so that we could make this episode happen. So thank you so much. (laughs) So I guess we should kick off and start off for anyone listening who doesn't know much about you, Renee. I'd love to know, I guess, why you decided to become a dietitian and why you chose to specialize specifically in sports performance? Um, yeah, I mean, great question. I It wasn't straightforward. It wasn't a, I'm going to become a sports dietitian. It was actually, I really liked science at school and I was quite good at science at school, but I've always been really interested in the human body. And then like, like how does it work? Like really work? Um, but I knew I didn't want to do medicine. That was one thing I knew. I was like, I don't want to do medicine. It's not what I'm about. Um, and so again, I was very lucky. I had a really good form teacher at, uh, sixth form and he really encouraged me to, to pursue my kind of passion for science. And, and especially like then it, and even now, like well, they're always trying to encourage women into science. Right. So it was, it was kind of an, it was encouraged and he suggested I did biochemistry. So, um, that's what I did for my first degree. I went off and did biochemistry, which I absolutely loved. And I did biochemistry, um, specializing specifically in nutritional biochemistry. So we were looking at basically how nutrients, how uh, food groups, how everything at, works in a, at a biological level. So quite in depth. Um, so I then ended up doing a postgrad straight after my undergrad in dietetics and got my first job in uh, a London teaching hospital. And you work up the chain. So just like a junior doctor, you work up the chain and you you specialize in different areas until you decide what you want to, what you want to do. And about seven or eight years in, I was just like, I'm kind of, I've got a really good base, but I'm really tired of working with 
sick people. I was finding it really, really quite depressing. Um, and I, especially because like the last area I worked in was adolescent eating disorders. So it was, it was quite tough, tough going on the heartstrings and, um, I'm a very sensitive individual. So it was, it was difficult. Um, but I guess at the same time, I've always been really sporty, like always, like from, you know, I started swimming at the age of six, swam pretty much every night of the week until I was 11, 12. Um, then moved into secondary school and did loads of netball and hockey and, you know, you name it. And so by this point, I was doing a lot of running and I was part of the local running team. Um, and loads of people were asking me questions like, what should I eat before? Like, how do I how do I make sure I get a really good track session? How do I recover? And I kind of knew the answers because as a dietitian, you get such a good basis. But I wanted to, I suppose, specialize. I wanted to know the, the kind of intricacies of of sports nutrition and performance nutrition particularly and so I went back to uni again and did a postgrad in applied sports nutrition this time so yeah three degrees later um <laughs> I finally was working in the field of sports nutrition and, and my first job was um work going into London 2012 so I was very very fortunate I worked with the rhythmic gymnastics team going into London and then going into Rio, I worked with wheelchair fencing and wheelchair basketball. Um, and then after Rio, I I did another year because I worked with Scottish gymnastics for Commonwealth, but I kind of also had got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm seeing a lot of, um, I'm just seeing a lot of things in sport that I'm finding difficult, you know, like just kind of, the way in which athletes have been um, managed and um, how they're looked after. And um, I guess it made me think, I don't know if I want to do this forever. I don't know if I want to carry on working at this very, very high level all the time. Um, and so I actually decided at that point to start up my own consultancy, which is obviously what I do now. So I still work with a lot of high profile individuals. I still work with, you know, Scottish ballet and English ballet and and you know various other GB athletes um, but I also work with whoever wants to work with me because I wanted to make sure that I was accessible to all and I could provide that same advice to whoever needed it to be honest. Wow it's fascinating hearing you say you know all of the knowledge all of the learning all of the degrees and then that, that application you know with with the high performance high pressure environment in comparison to as you described working in the NHS which I know I have friends who work in the NHS and honestly I mean even before this year you know it's it's so challenging I feel like they are under-resourced you know they don't have enough time they have so much the expectation is so high and yeah just hats off to anyone who who can sustain working in that environment I think it's so so challenging and especially as you said if you're a sensitive person having to kind of deal with so much of that emotional stress working with young people working with young people with eating disorders and I think in that fast-paced environment where potentially you probably didn't have you know you don't have that time to spend right it's kind of like in 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 that's that's how my my doctor friends describe it it's just this conveyor belt of people and then, as I said, the pressure of, yeah, high performing world, it's it's a whole mixed bag. So I guess the thing is that I was thinking about as well with the topic of nutrition in general and, and diet is that particularly right now, I think in the wellness industry and in the fitness industry across sports and media, it's just the, it's wild, right? There's so mm. much information 
coming at us, diet trends, myths, fads, people myth busting. There's a cultural obsession, it feels like, with weight loss. And I think if you're looking for advice now, then you can find everything from keto to plant-based to high fat, low fat, no sugar, high carb, anything. Everything seems to have evidence to support all of these things say that they are for optimum and you know their way is the best way so how can we figure out in this wild west of diet information what's best for us and how do we even define optimum oh that's a really big question (laughs) (laughs) um so i mean i guess first thing is you need to obviously fact check right like you said that there's there's a lot of evidence but often when you start actually looking at the science or the evidence you usually find it's N equals one rather than N equals 300 or N equals 3000, which would be even better. Um, So I suppose that's the first thing is understanding the quality of the study and um, the effectiveness of the study and and, and what does that do and what are they checking and and has it been biased in any way or, you know, you have to look at all those different things. And that's that's something we learn through the work that you do, particularly as a dietitian, like everything we do, um, I think one thing people might not appreciate is as dietitians, we are regulated by the Health Professions Council. And so everything we do has to be um, evidence-based and, and good evidence-based, not, oh, I chose, I did this and it made me feel good. So now I'm going to promote it to the rest of the world. You know, it has to be. And if we're not, we 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 will get struck off. So, you know, we have to be very, very careful about the advice we give. Um, in terms of what's optimal, I suppose like, I'm always a I'm a really big believer. Maybe it's because of my biochemistry background and and everything I've I've studied. But our body has its own homeostatic control, like it has its own inbuilt monitoring system. And I think unfortunately, what's happened over the years is, and particularly in the rise of social media, we've all lost the ability to actually listen to our intuition and listen to our inbuilt systems. And and instead, we look at we look at images of food or we look at people that we follow that we aspire to and, and we we get guided by what they say rather than maybe what our body wants. And and if you if you look at like children, particularly young children, um they're really, really good at knowing what they want, when they want it, and when they've had enough, right? Like you you've got a little boy, you 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 get that. You, they they literally yep. will go, No, I don't want that anymore, or I'm done halfway through a mouthful, or and so we we have we all have that we're all born with that and obviously our relationship with food is so complex and particularly for women we know that women do have a much more emotional relationship with food and that's not just because we are known as the emotional sex it's it's actually because of the effect of estrogen on us and how our brains work so there is a much more emotional link to eating and food with women and and obviously we live in a society where it feels like we're constantly criticized for different things you know what you wear what you look like what color your hair is what color your skin is what whether you're a working mum whether you're not a working mum you you can't win as a woman in this world it, it feels like you just you can't and and i suppose like for some of us if if we if we're brought into this world and we don't have that sense of assurance and and security we probably do look for external validation and cues to what we should do rather than listening to to what we believe in ourselves so i mean i'm somebody that i suppose i always find it quite funny 
like I think people have a real assumption of how I eat and and how I live uh, because I am a dietitian and um I am not your stereotypical um I'm definitely not your stereotypical dietitian or nutrition expert in in that respect like I just eat what I like to be fair um I do like vegetables I do like fruit but I also like pizza I also like beer I also like ice cream I also like Hannah's tiffin so you know like there's this there's, there's there's nothing's off limits as such and I think working out what's optimal for you is it's more about an attitude to eating I think rather than what you specifically put in your mouth it's more about are you eating unrestrained in the sense that you know are, are you eating without food rules are you eating without anxiety are you eating without worrying what this might or might not do for you? You know, are you eating something because you want to, not because you feel you have to? Like the number of people I've worked with where they start their day with some strange concoction of weirdness, you know, Super whether foods. it's supplements or. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say it, but, you know, like or some sort of strange mix of smoothie mix that I just don't understand and I will always remember one one guy I worked with and I was like reading all the ingredients and I was like, is this nice? He goes, hell no, it's hideous. And I was like, well, why do you drink it? He goes, because it's got all the nutrients I need for my day, like to start me up. And I'm like, yeah, but life's too short to be, you know, drinking things you don't like surely wow That's you know what, what i'm kind of surprised but i'm sure i'm sure some people will be surprised because i feel like as you said people expect you know okay a dietitian give us the breakdown give us the macronutrients give us all the information and the data so we can optimize you know this is going to fuel this this is going to help you optimize your recovery this is hydration blah 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 but i think this idea that you touched on with you know we know in ourselves we have an innate feeling when you're a child exactly you're described they'll say i've had enough i don't want any more or they'll say i'm hungry now a random time or you know they, they don't necessarily wake up and and want to eat straight away you know they just they might want to play or read or whatever and I think there's a couple of things I guess and we're going to come on to this uh, idea of intuitive eating and, and really getting into that but I think there's maybe I think I sometimes have a bit of an unpopular opinion around the intuitive eating um, conversation because I sometimes think that the world makes it very difficult for us to actually listen to our bodies and, and what we want because I think now there's an abundance so you know everything's easy everything's there you know if you're fortunate to live you know in the western world and you've got a fridge and electricity and a fridge full of food and cupboards full of food and you don't necessarily have to even prepare food you can just click a button and get it delivered and it's ready I sometimes think that it's hard for people now or harder for people to go okay listen to your body and eat intuitively because it's easy now to just kind of eat all the time snack brands tell us to snack you know we're supposed to have three meals a day there's just you can eat any time you can literally eat at midnight five o'clock any time of the day you can get delicious food and so sometimes I think it's harder for people to really understand what intuitive really is because I, th I think the misconception is well intuitive just means eat whatever you want eat loads and, and never worry about what you're eating but I know that it's not that either so I guess Maybe you, you're probably the best person to tell us what intuitive eating is and what it isn't, because I feel like on social media now, it's kind of a bit of a backlash to the clean eating movement. So over to you, Renee. Okay, so I probably don't have a very popular view on intuitive eating either. So um, this, this may be controversial and people may think, wow, she really is weird and different. Um, 
so so although I've just said that I feel like, you know, we should we've all got this homeostatic control, we all have this ability to monitor and and know what we need to do. Um you're absolutely 100% right. It it it's our relationship with food has become very dysfunctional because everybody's telling us what to do. And so again, if you are somebody that struggles with your own sense of assurance and your own sort of knowledge of what you need to make to feel good about you and yourself then you will just kind of go well I'll I'll, I'll now drink this because I've been told this is good for me or I'll eat that because that that's been told that's good for me and, and before you know it you have no idea what you're doing and you know and interestingly like if I look at my diet it's very much based on moderation which is that really boring word that dietitians have been banging on about for over 20 years and we still bang on about it because fundamentally that is what we should all be trying to do intuitive eating is an interesting one because it's obviously it's been very much promoted as a method of helping people who have a dysfunctional and destructive relationship with food and yet it's not something i particularly use with people i work with because when the, the individuals that I'm working with, when they have a very dysfunctional relationship with food, it often means as well, going back to that biochemistry, going back to the, to the, the knowledge about how the body works, it also means that they are usually hormonally not regulated. So one of the things we know is that if somebody goes through very restrictive phases of eating, or even goes through phases of binging and then big kind of phases of fasting which is you know these are all quite common ways that people have learned to eat um you 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 mess up your hormonal regulation and and when you think about what the human body is it's basically a series of feedback loops you know like it's constantly feeding back to the hypothalamus and then adjusting and that's what i mean it's so incredible it's so brilliant but when you disrupt that through maybe over restriction or you know, binge purging or, or whatever it is that, that is going on. Or even not listening in the way that you just said, you just keep eating because it, there's food available and you just keep doing it and you're ignoring your hunger signals. You're ignoring that ghrelin signal. You keep ignoring it. You basically disrupt this hormonal balance. So until you can regulate that again, you can't really expect someone to learn to eat in intuitively which is why it's not a practice that I practice with people so when individuals that come to me who have dysfunctional relationships with food we first have to actually get them to a place where they are regulated with their eating where their body sort of knows that food is going to be arriving at regular intervals um, and yes, we'll discuss what the composition of that needs to be. And that will be dependent on so many things, how active they are, what their job is, where their starting point is, what is the dysfunction? I mean, it's 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 complex depending on who turns up. But until their hormones are regulated, until things like your leptin, ghrelin is back to normal, until your if you if you have disrupted your your sex hormones, they are back to normal, until your thyroid function can function appropriately again you wouldn't you you won't have any recognition of hunger signals and so to then encourage somebody to try and do intuitive eating is actually it's i would personally say it's quite bad practice because you're setting them up to fail and i know that a number of people that come to me they say i want to learn how to eat intuitively and i'm like well that will come but it it won't come from you trying to learn how to eat intuitively it will come from you learning 
how to fuel your body for what you are doing and learning how to regulate your hormones. And, and then over time, once the body knows that it's regulated and it's comfortable, you will start yourself to notice your hunger times and your empty times and your full times. You will, because that, that is how we work. So yes, at some point, I suppose the intuitive eating or the instinctive eating, as I like to call it, kicks in because that's, we're all human and that's what we do. But there's a lot of work in, in, in the meantime in terms of regulating the physical per aspect of the person, but also to a certain degree doing a lot of work on the emotional and the psychology of it all as well. Because often when people have a difficult relationship with food, it's their method of denying emotions that are hard and uncomfortable for them to process and they don't want to. Mm. So until you improve that relationship with self, you can't really improve that relationship with food. Gorgeous. I hope that makes it simple. It's quite complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's very well, it is very complex. And I think there's so much nuance to yeah, all of our relationships with different things, specifically with food and eating. And I think the conversation for women specifically, you know, often it is. There's there's diet culture, there's trends, there's fads, there's all these things that we're constantly pot potentially exposed to. And maybe we don't even realise how much they're, they're impacting us. There were two things that you two words that you mentioned a few times that I've kind of wanted to touch on. And one was appetite. And, you know, you talk mm -hmm. about hunger. And I think I think people actually are afraid to feel hunger now. I don't think we often feel hunger. It's this idea that, you know, have a snack in your bag or people joke about feeling hangry. It's like, oh, as soon as I'm hungry, I'm going to, you know, feel erratic and lose my temper. And I think, yeah, I think we fear hunger because it's, I don't know, potentially because we, as I said, live in the Western world. We have abundance. We don't feel hunger often. But on the flip side of that, you mentioned the word fasting as well. I think fasting has become just such a buzzword in, in, in the work that I'm doing anyway and the people that I'm, you know, whether it's training, running, uh, road racers, endurance athletes, you know, this fasting conversation at the moment. So many people would think if you'd, if I'd spoken to them five years ago about, you know, intermittent fasting or they'd have been like, oh my gosh, that's so extreme, you know, time feeding window. Now, every person I speak to, they're like, oh, it's 12 o'clock, one o'clock, time to break my fast. And I just feel like everyone now is doing this intermittent fasting and the, you know, the health benefits that we're hearing about it. And it's all of these things. So again, Renee, intermittent fasting you know fasting for and I think it's maybe different for endurance athletes and for training but for just the average person with a moderate activity level who's maybe working during the day looking after kids do we need to be intermittent fasting as a way of moder moderating our intake or can we do it in another way I mean I I'll be I again I'll, I'm always honest I'm not a big fan of fasting um mainly probably because I work with a group of individuals that don't need to be doing it and should not be doing it, I think is probably the, the main reason. Um, I think if we're using intermittent fasting in the form of 8-16, so where you eat for eight hours and you fast for 16 hours, um, it can help some individuals to modify how much food they can consume. And I guess that's the only reason it actually works. I think I want people to understand that. It's not because you're you're suddenly doing something amazing to your body by not eating for 16 hours. It's just the fact that you've closed the window with how much yeah. you can actually consume. It's as simple as that. It's not anything else. Um, you're just eating less calories during the day, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, and you've given yourself a rule to stick to. Um now, how that fits in with your life uh, is, is, is entirely up to you. I mean, I think if it becomes something that, again, is so fixed that you can never deviate and it means you start missing out on 
social opportunities and um, you know other things that are good for your well-being because we mustn't forget that human connection and socializing and food in general has a lot more value to it than just energy in energy out you know it, it's it's it brings people together like it's one of the biggest things I missed in lockdown was sitting with my friends around a table and putting the world to rights you know it wasn't about the food but it was it's what brought us together and I feel like people miss that if you become so obsessive with what you can and can't eat you miss out on really important human connections that is is really critical for our well-being so we talk about well-being and we, we focus on foods we should and shouldn't eat but what about well-being from the mental point of view that is is really really important hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com so with the intermittent fasting, I mean, one thing I would say is I really don't recommend fasted training to anyone, to be honest, even if you are a moderate exerciser, even if you are someone who, you know, is only doing something three or four times a week. I just I just don't recommend it because there's no real benefit to it. People think there is, but there really isn't. There's, there's no evidence anywhere that has suggested that it's of any real benefit at all so the people who talk about the keto and talk about you know if you're fasted training you're tapping into your fat stores and your energy stores and you're making your i've heard this thing around metabolic flexibility so you're teaching the body that you can get energy from different things maybe from carbs maybe from fat stores maybe from protein i, I mean i'm not the dietitian but are these things are these is there no evidence there is it are these myths so it's very complicated, again, with the whole fat adaptation, which is what the people say that they, they become fat adapted. So you can start using more fuel for food. Sorry, wrong way around. More food for fuel, uh, more, more fat for fuel um, in your training sessions, which means you're then, you know, you're, you're, you're tapping into your fat stores is, is the very simplistic way of looking at it. But as we've said before, the human body is not simplistic. And you know, if you start going down the road of, of very low carb and very high fat because you think this is what's going to do for you, um, you also, again, once again, you'll affect other areas of your body that will then potentially lead to longer term health consequences. So, for example, we know that carbohydrate is really, really important and carbohydrate availability is really important from a bone health point of view. So, you know, the timing of your nutrition around your training um, whatever, again, whatever level you are, is really important if you want to optimize your bone health. So if you don't include carbohydrate, then potentially you are risking that aspect of your of your health. Similarly, we know that carbohydrate is really important for your immune health. So once again, if you start going into that fasted or the, the kind of um, the low carb, high fat and you're pushing your body because the one thing we do know one with the thing we do have huge amount of evidence for is that if you are only using fat for fuel it will affect your performance there is no way that you can um perform at a high intensity because the body cannot break down fat fast enough to deliver it to the muscles in the way that it does with glucose 
and carbohydrate. So, you know, it, it, you could go low carb, high fat, but it will be at the cost of other things that are going on inside your body. And that's why I mean, like when you asked me initially, what's the best diet? It, there isn't one. It, mm. It's kind of a combination of different things, depending on what you're doing. And it's making sure that your body gets what it requires based on on what you're doing with it in, mm. in you know, every day to a certain degree. Um, and and I guess like in going back to the kind of the, the, the keto aspect of it, the one thing that people forget is that you actually need carbohydrate to break down fat. So Again, you, you this this metabolic flexibility that people talk about it doesn't actually happen because if you if you keep using fat for fuel, you downregulate your body's ability to actually use carbohydrate for fuel. And if you start using protein for fuel, then you're going to basically breaking muscle, so you're not really benefiting in any form or manner. So again, I mean, I suppose one of my biggest frustrations is the fact that that so much science is completely dumbed down to to then be recreated to sell a package to someone mm. and, and someone who's yeah and, and someone who is who's vulnerable who who's desperate for an answer um and I do I find it incredibly frustrating and I guess that's one of the reasons I started my Instagram was because I wanted to try and be one of the voices out there that was qualified and credible and, and could provide people with a sensible voice you know a voice of reason now that doesn't make me very popular because I don't often say what people want to hear, but it makes me authentic and it makes me, um, you know, I, I, I will always speak the truth. Mm, yeah, I think you're right in the oversimplification. And it's interesting that you said that you're not popular for for giving, you know, not not kind of, I guess, feeding into that, giving people the quick answer. It's like, give us the three top tips or give us the the one liner or the just the, the acronym, something that's just going to stick. And I think you're right, you know, it's oversimplifying and it does take out the complexity and the human body, as we know, is very complex. So I guess what I'd like to do, Renee, is almost like flip this on the other side, because I think the way that, you know, we're talking and people who might be overtraining or restricting or, you know, athletes. And there's definitely, as, as we discussed, there's a fine line, I think, between having, you know, sports performance, like kind of a, a specific thing you're following, such as a plan to kind of food rules. And, you know, when it tips over the, the way to being disordered. But I think on the on the other side of that, is you know the other end of the spectrum so people who especially during this time during the last six months maybe of lockdown they might have they might be less active so they've lost their commute they might be doing less steps they might be feeling overwhelmed and emotionally stressed and vulnerable and maybe they're eating more because of that so they're like you know what I'm, I'm, I'm snacking all the time I'm eating comfort foods and and junk food and I've gained a lot of weight this year and I'm very inactive and I think there's almost the other end of the scale which is like you know, sometimes people don't know where to start. And when, with this idea of, of, I think you said moderate, you know, we've lost what mm. moderate is. So people will say, oh, you know, everything in moderation. So it's fine to have two glasses of wine a night or it's fed everything in moderation. So you can have a slice of cake after dinner every day. And it's it's this idea that what is moderation now? Because if you are, do you know what I mean? On the other end of the scale, what are the kind of small, not small things, but I guess just fundamental things that they could, people could aim for to, yeah, as, as we said before, reset and discover where their body really wants to be? Yeah, I mean, I think, I suppose the thing around kind of losing weight for your health, which is an important thing, and, I, and it's something that people are so scared of talking about, because almost you say, well, I'm losing weight because I know I need to. 
you're jumped on and, and it's like, oh, you'll develop an eating disorder. And that's really not the case. And, and I find it quite insulting when people say that, because when you work with people who have got eating disorders, it's not about it's never really about food and body image. And it, it's about something else. So um, there are going to be people who legitimately need to lose weight or want to lose weight because they know it's going to improve their health parameters. And I think that's really, really important to to understand. Um, but I think instead of thinking about it as a, um, a, a kind of like a, a diet I have to go on or a food, um, I don't know, like a food trend I have to follow to, to get the results or whatever it might be, I always think, and, and, and it's what we were taught back in the day in, in, our, in uni is that it's, it's a behavioral change. It's a lifestyle change because you want it to be sustainable. This is not something you're going to do for five minutes and then you're going to go back to what you're doing now. It's something you want to maintain for the rest of your life. And it's it's kind of like, I suppose everybody's going to be different because it sort of depends on where you start, right? In in terms of if you will say somebody at the moment who has a plate and, and their food is very much meat and potatoes or meat and chips or whatever it might be. And I'm not judging here. I mean, you know, I like, I like chips. Um, but it's about asking yourself, how many times a week am I having chips? Am I having chips five days a week? Okay, well, maybe I cut down to two days a week to start with. And then it might be that you cut down to one day a week. And then it might be that you cut down to once every two weeks, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a gradual step-by-step process it's looking at what you're doing in this moment and looking at realistic changes you can make and and when we talk about moderation I mean we're talking about obviously we want people to have more fruit vegetables beans pulses we want them to have that I mean that doesn't mean you have to become vegan we're not saying that at all but we you know we know that there is benefit in in eating foods that have um, a high nutrient value as such um, but again, it's expensive to eat healthy. And I think this is this is another big problem in that, you know, there is such inequalities in our health and such inequalities in in our, um, uh, you know, in our financial in the financial world that we live in. And so for some of us, actually, we can spend 50 percent of our income if we want to on good food and eat really well and, and, and do that. But actually, for other people, 50 percent of their income is not much. And they can't, they can't afford the luxuries of, you know, veggie boxes and, and and whatever else. And so we need to feel very privileged when we can do that and understand that we shouldn't be shaming other people if they can't, because actually it's really difficult when you're, when you're on the poverty line to eat really well. Um, I did a session a few, about 18 months ago um, with a trust in London called St. Clement's Trust. And it was really, really humbling because these were individuals who are all kind of struggling financially and they're all kind of, you know, they're, they're doing sort of different apprenticeships and whatever they can get. And they were so interested in how they could learn to eat well, how they could learn to eat better. It wasn't they didn't want to. They really wanted to. They just didn't know how to because they couldn't afford what everybody's telling everybody to do. And, and you know, it, it's simple things like trying to encourage them to use frozen fruit and veg for example rather than having to be fresh there's no reason why it has to be fresh because frozen fruit and veg is just as good as as fresh you know it's picked and it's preserved and and so it's good for you using tinned if you need to like tinned stuff is really cheap and it's it's really useful um so i mean i'm kind of going off on a, on a slight tangent but it's just i just feel like it's really important for people to understand that for some, for most of us we for a big majority of us 
food is not a problem in that we can afford the, the healthy foods that we should be eating more of. But there's a big part of the population that can't and they often get stigmatized. Absolutely. Absolutely. Renee, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm really glad that you that you have raised that because I think it's incredibly important for people to recognize, as you said, that if you don't live in that way, if you are privileged, if you are able to have the luxury of choice, then you might not even consider, as you described it, the stigma that is attached to, well, people should choose this or people should know more or they're or they're labeled as lazy or all these things. And actually the reality is for a lot of people and parents as well, you know, I think as you said, people who with with those social economic factors taken into consideration it doesn't just mean they might have less food uh, less money available to choose the food but they also have a lot of other challenges to do with financial stress worrying about you know how we're going to pay that bill or not having the space in their house to prepare food or not having you know there's so many layers to it and I think it's really I'm really glad that you you did bring that up because I often think the wellness world as well just is so skewed towards this kind of you know luxury this expensive that and it's kind of you know these expensive price tags and health and and wellness and fitness and and feeling good essentially shouldn't come with an expensive price tag it really shouldn't be I know it is there is an inequality there huge inequality there but there are yeah I think it's important conversation to have and for people to recognize that it's not as simple as saying to people well you know what running's free and you know carrots are cheap because I've heard that before and it's not yeah it's it's definitely not the case it takes it takes out again the nuance the complexity and I think it's something that yeah we really really should talk about more when it's not just about what we should and shouldn't eat it's like what can we do to support those people as well yeah 100% and I think like you know during lockdown and and also the crisis that we're in at the moment, the COVID crisis is, you know, more and more people are losing their jobs and more and more people are going to struggle to eat well. And um, I, I find it incredibly frustrating that the government are banging on about, you know, losing weight and and kind of like eating better. And, and I understand why, as in we, they've got so-called proof that that protects you from COVID, but they, they're not thinking about actually quite a big part of the population that are struggling you know, to, 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 to do that normally because of, of the fact that it's really expensive to eat well. And, and I suppose my, my, my little request to everybody who's listening is, you know what, when you're in the supermarket next, there's always the option for a, um, putting something in a food bank. And, you know, and I would, I would really, really say, please do that because it makes such a big difference. But I didn't answer your question, which was around how do you eat moderately and how do you change your eating? Um, and as I said, I think the thing is, is you have to kind of look at where you're starting and what, what are the behaviors that have creeped in? You know, like, to be fair, I think every, all of us have needed a bit of comfort during 2020. It's been a tough year. It's been a hard year. And I have no issue with people wanting to maybe recreate moments when they felt comforted by food, whether that's from their childhood or from a holiday they've had, anything to kind of lift you, I don't think is a problem. But obviously what you don't want is that then to become something that um, becomes behavioral and, and routined because potentially it might not be the best option for, for your health overall. So I think it's looking at what's creeped in, is it the snacking and, you know, do you need to do the snacking? Is it, is it, you know, when was the last time you had a meal? And if it's like two hours later, then you probably don't need a snack because you, you know, if you've eaten well, you can probably go at least four hours without eating again. So it's, I think it's, it's, it's kind of, it's maybe looking at what, what you've done or, or what's changed. And then I would, I would only ever set about maximum of sort of two or three goals in terms of what you can realistically think you can do. So whether that's a change to, or you know what, I'm going to start 
changing the proportions of food on my plate. So maybe I'll have, um, you know, a bit more, a bit more green stuff if I can. And, and I, you know, and have slightly smaller portions of the meat and the, and the potatoes or whatever, then, then that's one place you could start and you're still eating the same food, but you're just changing the proportions a little bit. So it could be something as simple as that. Or if you've got into habits of drinking, um, more alcohol because again i think i think people did then maybe it's like okay well, do you know what let's make a pact as a as a you know as a couple or, or as a family or whatever that we'll have two alcohol free nights a week you know it's these simple changes you can make that then become sustainable and the health benefits will be huge so i don't think it's about going on a crash diet or following some weird and wonderful food fad it's it's actually just about looking at where your behaviors are right now and what are the one or two steps you need to take to change them to make them sustainable Mm, yeah and I think I didn't want to interrupt you then but when you said about you know these things during lockdown it's been a tough year and people seeking comfort in that thing that feels good I think where what I sometimes think about when I talk to people they ask me about this it's like it might feel good in the moment and it's like the initial feeling but it's also looking at the long-term feeling so if you know for example that yeah you have started drinking more and drinking more regularly and then you know that you wake up feeling sluggish and because you know we're going to come on to talking about the power hour but because I am such an early person that's the question I get asked the most is people say well how do you go to bed early what time do you eat dinner do you drink alcohol and I think if you know that for example on the weekend you want to get up early and you want to do something fun or you want to maybe go out for a bike ride or a run or are you going to feel better doing that knowing yeah you, you had a bottle of red wine it's gonna be making it harder for yourself in in the long run so I think it's finding that balance right of being like yeah now I want to enjoy this but if it's gonna in the long run not take you to that kind of and a longer term outcome goal whatever you want to call it that you're working towards you've got to find that balance right I, I was trying to explain to my son the other day the the concept of delayed gratification which obviously at nine years old that he, he gets it but I was trying to explain to him you know that sometimes in the moment what we what we want to choose there and then and it actually wasn't about food he's nine it was about um, saving up for a WWE wrestling toy and I was trying to describe to him you know like you know if you do this you do this you do this and you you know you get 50 pence for that you get a pound for that and like saving up and trying to explain to him that when you put things off and then you work towards it and you get it it's you know anyway bit of a tangent but I think we all could do with that sometimes because of course it's like well you know treat yourself self-love just do the thing and it's like yeah but it's not really self-love when every morning you're waking up and feeling terrible it's not that's not self-love I think and I think that's sometimes as well as I said with the unpopular opinion is that even when you're describing about the the kind of choosing how you want to if you can't you know get to the top of the stairs without being out of breath and I think I always say to people it's how do you want to feel everybody wants to feel good everybody wants to have more energy everybody wants to be able to yeah you know chase after their kids on the scooter or or whatever and I think that if you if you don't feel good then it's not self-love to say yeah you know have another glass I think it's actually self-love to think you want to feel good tomorrow or you want to feel good in a week or you want to feel good, you know, all the time. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, oh, completely. And I think this whole self-love, self-care thing has, again, just been taken completely out of proportion, like people putting face masks on their face and saying this is self-care. And it's like, well, no, the self-care bit is that maybe you've given yourself time out. Maybe you're doing something nice for you because you've given yourself a bit of time out to maybe process the day or process whatever challenges are going on for you. Um, 
I always talk to my clients about self-care in the sense that self-care is actually being a little bit more forgiving towards yourself. It's being self-compassionate. You know, it's if you're if you're somebody, I am somebody who is incredibly critical of myself all the time. It's not a good trait. It's not something I particularly um, like about myself, but it is just how I am. And I'm learning to provide myself with more self-compassion. And when I hear the critical voice in my head, I'm learning to almost parent myself and and be a little bit kinder in terms of, well, you know, actually that wasn't the worst outcome in the world. And, you know, it's okay if you made a mistake or or whatever it is that I've done or or whatever I'm experiencing, I, I will, you know, I will hear myself and I'm trying to, and for me, that's, that's my self-care that's looking after me from that point of view um so i think yeah i think it, again it's it's interesting isn't it like we've spoken about so many cool things today and, and and gone in so many different directions but a lot of it comes from the fact of of kind of what we see on instagram or, or social media as 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 kind of things that are being promoted and and usually in a very privileged manner and actually what the reality is in terms of how complex our bodies are, how complex the mind-body, you know, kind of um, connection is, how complex the world we live in, in terms of all the different socioeconomic groups and and you know the inequalities we have, like this, this it's and I think it's very easy to get caught up in your own self and think, oh, I'm not good enough because I can't do what such and such is doing or what such and such is kind of eating or whatever. But actually, when you take a step back and you look at the bigger picture you know, you're doing great, you know, everybody's doing great. And and we're all just surviving. And then kind of, I always say it's not about, it's not about being controlled in life, it's about learning to navigate life. You know, that's like a really important thing for me is that things will go wrong, things will, you know, things will inevitably fall apart, potentially plans won't go to plan. It's that's inevitable. But it's how you respond to that. It's how you you know, if you go into catastrophic mode that, oh, my God, that's the end of the world. And and I, and you will end up, you know, getting to going down a rabbit hole and really struggling. But if you just kind of go, OK, it's not ideal. It's not what I expected. It's not how I wanted things to be. But what can I learn from this or how can I change it or what can I take from it? You know, it's, it's, it's how you respond, mm. which I think is the important thing. Yeah. And I love that you just said you're doing great. And the way you said it, you know, for anyone listening, they don't know that we can see each other virtually via <laughs> video. And it, and it kind of really yeah. landed with me because I'm also quite self-critical and not in a way that, you know, I don't know if it's detrimental potentially, but I think it's something that I just... I guess I, I guess I, how should I frame it? I have high standards, high expectations, ambition. Yeah. So I think that's why I'm like, I'm nodding along. Cause when you're like, you're doing great. Sometimes it's like, actually, yeah. Like there's always more you could be doing. There's always another thing on the list to get to, but actually just saying you're doing great. I really like that. I'm going to keep, I'm going to remind myself of that this week. Adrienne, you're doing great. <laughs> I'll remind you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> As you said, we have talked about so many things. This has been great. But I really want to talk to you about the power hour, about mornings, about the first hour of the day. For me, it's all about reclaiming that one hour. And I really want to kind of take a hammer to this idea that it's just about doing more because it doesn't necessarily Mm. mean that. It's just that I think our time is the most valuable thing we have. We are constantly in this world that's on demand, giving it to other people, 
emails, WhatsApp, children, work, all these things. So I, I truly believe we need to start to reclaim some time and why not start with the first hour of the day? So Renee, what time do you wake up in the morning and what's the first hour of your day like? So generally speaking, I get up about half six. Um, and the first hour of my day is, it's it's probably my favorite hour actually, because it's it's coffee definitely coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker. So the first thing I do is um, put the kettle on. Um, and I have an old fashioned kettle that sits on the hob. So it's like it feels like really kind of, I don't know, just feels quite therapeutic. You know, it's like a whole process and coffee goes on first. Um, and I'll probably I, I generally would actually read in the morning. I know like most people read before they go to bed, but I actually really quite like reading it, it, it sometimes is it's usually work related but it but it's like it's it's the time I like to extract information so I might read a journal article or I might read a, you know like a, a kind of a psychology textbook or, or something just because I might want to think okay what am I gonna what do I want to focus on in terms of what do I want what do I want to learn today so recently I've been doing a lot of reading around fear and so I've spent most of this week um just jotting notes down with my coffee. Um, I used to listen to the radio, but I'll be honest, I don't anymore because it's too scary. There's, there's just too many Start your day with things. updates. <laughs> yeah, like, what's coming next? Yeah. Apocalypse. Exactly. So now I listen to some sort of spot, any Spotify playlist that's kind of like chill, you know, morning chill or something. That's kind of what I play. Um, and then it always involves walking Bailey. So Bailey is my... Uh, very very loved spaniel and um so that that's what i love about my morning it's it's kind of it's very much me and him time so usually it'll be coffee and then he knows as soon as i put my cup down he's there by my feet Aww. and we're like okay come on then let's go um and we we're very lucky where we live um we have so much countryside so it's usually a little in the morning it's probably only half an hour 40 minutes but it's enough to kind of just clear my head get ready for clinic and you know start the day yeah and so it, yeah and that's my hour right and as you said it's that ritual of kind of having I guess a routine and that you know whatever that routine is I think it's nice to yeah you must have those the process and, and and the steps to go through before the rest of the day and the rest of the world and also I guess being I don't have a dog but I really would love to one day I love dogs I guess being having a dog that wants to go out, you know, you always have to be outside. So do you keep, obviously you still keep that going throughout, throughout the winter months as well. That's something that comes up. People yeah. ask me because I run in the mornings and they'll say, oh yeah, but you know, in summer it's fine. It's, it's, it's bright and sunny at half past five, but how do you still do that in the winter? So any top tips for people for getting up and out early as the months start to get darker and colder? Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I suppose I'm like you. I mean, I, if I don't, we'll either walk or we'll run depending on, on what we feel like. Um, and I will always have breakfast. I didn't actually say that, but I will always have breakfast before I, I go out. Um, top tips, I guess. Um, it sounds silly, but like having good waterproofs is, is good. Yeah, get, um, make it, make it better kind of, for yourself. You know, you, yeah, exactly. Um, Something I did did last year, which was oh, I started taking my coffee with me. So it felt kind of like warm, especially when I was walking. So I had like, you know, I've got one of those, um, uh, you know, disposable cup, you know, keep the, cup. kind of reusable cups. Yeah, keep cup, that's it. And um, yeah, so I started making coffee and then going with Bailey. And it was quite nice because you it was almost like an incentive to go and watch the sunrise. So that was quite nice. Um, sometimes asking a friend 
sometimes I will run with a friend in the morning and we'll run with both our dogs and then that's always entertaining but um mm. but that's quite cool mm. um so yeah I mean I I suppose I'm a bit like you I don't really I don't really lack motivation in the morning whether it's dark or whether it's sunny or I mean rain mm, you know but I've done it today because it's pouring yeah, but um yeah. I, I guess I look at him and I just think well he needs me that's nice he needs me to go out and do it yeah. so you know he's always there for me so I need to make sure that I'm there for him yeah that's nice if you're really struggling <laughs> to yeah stay motivated throughout the winter months get a dog get yourself a dog get a dog you have to take them out rain or shine brilliant yeah. amazing okay so before I ask you my closing question Renee can you tell us where people can find you on Instagram where they can find you online and where they can get your books Sure. So um, on Instagram, I am r underscore McGregor, which is nice and easy. Um, our website is reenymcgregor.com. And you can buy the books from the website, but you can also buy them from Amazon um, and other online bookstores as well that, that do them. So, um, but yeah, they're all available. Brilliant. Well, we'll add a link to the website in the show notes of the podcast. So my closing question, which I asked every guest this season on the show is all about time and it's about having one extra hour of the day. So I'm giving you the gift of an extra hour. You've now got 25 hours every single day. So anything that you say you don't have time for, now you do. What would you use that extra hour to do? Not work. Anything not I working. I think that's, yeah. yeah. I think um, I do work very long days like um you know clinic is long and then obviously often I'm doing extra stuff you know which I want to do so it's not that I don't want to like you know I'll be recording my podcast or I'll, I'll be a guest on a podcast last night I did a presentation to a school you know like um these are things that I enjoy doing and, and I want to do and I spend a lot of time trying to sort out train brave as well so um and, and one thing that I'm really trying to push at the moment is again, going back to our early discussions about inequalities is I'm very, very aware that, again, to come and work with me is quite privileged at the moment. And so one thing that I'm looking into is trying to get some funding for Train Brave so that we can actually offer support to people who can't necessarily afford to come and see us otherwise. So um, I think for me, just to have an hour a day where, you know, I could maybe, I'd love to kind of have a, a regular coffee date with myself, you know, like go somewhere, read my book, you know, or, um, or listen to music or, or, or even meet a friend. Like I'm not, you know, it makes me sound like I'm a hermit. I'm not a hermit. I do like people, but yeah, that would be it. It would be, it would be, I think I would want that hour for me mm. if I'm honest. More time to disconnect. Yeah. And yeah, I guess the Dolce Fenente. So to the sweet art of doing nothing, which I think we don't really have Absolutely. an equivalent in, in Western culture, which is not surprising, but yeah, I think the idea of actually having more time to do less is a really nice one. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, definitely. That would definitely be it for me. Definitely. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Renee. As I said, I was kind of surprised by some of your answers today. I'd definitely done my research. I'd looked at a lot of your work and I, I guess, yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised and I hope that the listeners of the show will also have really enjoyed this episode. I'm sure they will. So if you've enjoyed listening, then please do let us know. You can rate and review. You can get in touch with both Renee and myself on social media and let us know if you enjoyed the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Renee. Thank you for having me. Have an awesome week, everyone. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? 
Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 